Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 11. We're doing part three of our series, It's Your Move. I hope you guys have enjoyed the last few weeks. It's been uh, it's been fun. Uh, it's been exhausting. It's been challenging. It's it's been about me, if I can, and not in a narcissistic Pete way, but just I hope you understand that, that everything that I talk of, if you're saying ooh or ow, even if you weren't, I am, because I am continually on the um, belief that I'm going to throw myself under the bus as many times as possible, and I hope you guys can learn from it. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11 is a, an interesting passage as we go into part three of this series. Now, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he, Jesus, departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John, this is John the Baptist, the man who baptized Jesus, the man who called him out, the man who said that he saw a dove descending, the man who did everything that was right, that, that, that called forth Jesus, the guy that sat there and says, behold, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, the man that looked at his other disciples and said, don't follow me any longer, follow him, because he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That John the Baptist who was living uh, like a boss out in the wilderness and didn't care what anybody said or who was in power. He was going to preach the truth. And it says this, and, and when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two disciples. See, John had decided to pick a fight with, with the wrong people, I guess. And it gets to a place where John gets in prison and the word is that he is going to be beheaded. And if you don't know what that is, that's not a, a comfortable thing. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it is. His head is going to be removed from his shoulders very shortly. So, in prison, John says uh, he sends his two disciples. In verse three, it says. In verse three, it says, and he said to him, "Are you the coming one, or do we look for another?" I feel like that's a very interesting about face because when Jesus shows up on the scene till Jesus dies, we're talking three and a half years. So we're not talking about three decades of when John called Jesus to when John's in prison. We're talking about a relatively short amount of time where he bet it all on this guy and now all of a sudden he's sending his disciples saying, are you the one or should we send another? And the re- reality is, is that John's sitting in prison rethinking his life. A few years ago when I was uh, pastoring in South Florida, our senior pastor took a sabbatical. And what that means is that he took a break from preaching um, about a month at a time and he would allow uh, myself and another guy or another woman to to minister in his behalf. And at this season, um, I had preached, I think it was like almost a full month in a row. Um, And so I had been building the series and um, been doing a decent job. The, the, the problem is how do you understand that just because you have one experience doesn't mean that every experience is going to be the same way. Leading up to this message, the first three weeks were absolutely hilarious. Not hilarious because I dropped the ball, but because I was being funny. Because my, my content was humorous. It was still serious, but it was still humorous, and I would tell personal stories of self-deprecation, and everyone laughs when Pete hurts himself, um, like he did last week, um, but 
it, we're walking through this whole thing, and, and I knew at this last week what I was going to be speaking. The problem was is that the man that was supposed to be transitioning from worship to me had no idea what I was speaking. So he gets up on stage and says, oh my gosh, buckle your seatbelts. This man is so funny, and you are going to laugh. Every week we've been laughing, and, and I'm telling you guys, it's just going to be one. He is hyping me up, and the entire time I'm thinking, mute the man's mic. Mute the, please, God, come soon. Rapture something, because he has no idea what I'm about to speak on, because it's going to be a fairly heavy topic, and, and he is dying. He's killing me. You're going to laugh till your sides hurt. It's going to be great. I hope you brought a bunch of people, and you don't really need a whole lot of notes. You'll memorize it. I'm just there going like, my dude, stop. And so I get on stage, and everyone's like, make me laugh, funny man. <laughs> when you don't understand someone's expectations, it's hard to connect to their disappointments. See, John had an expectation of Jesus, and his expectation wasn't that he was going to be beheaded. And so when he's realizing that Jesus isn't coming to save him, he sends his disciples. Is this the one? I don't look bad at John for that one. I mean, I can imagine if I know that I'm about to lose my head over somebody, I want to make sure it's for the right cause. Can I get a witness? He's a human. A lot of times we take some of these men and women of the Bible and we, don't, we take away their humanity and think that they're spiritual robots, and that's not the case. Not even close. Even Jesus himself, in a very emotional time, says, God, if there's any way you can take this away from me, do it. If Jesus has low emotional times, can I tell you, you do too? And it's okay. It's what we do with those things. See, John turned towards Christ in his low emotional times. But a lot of times I don't turn towards Christ, I turn towards somebody else. I'm looking to somebody else to get me out of my low spot on a regular basis and, and trying to figure something out. But it's human nature for us to judge future e events based on previous experience. But one thing that God wants us to do is to unlearn our past behavior and learn that he is new every morning. See, God doesn't change, but his mercies are new every morning. Who he is and his goodness doesn't change, but how he interacts with you is new every single day. And it's customized. It's customized to the season of life that you're in. It's customized to your emotional standing. It's customized to your mental capabilities. It's customized to wherever you are. Have you ever read the same chapter numerous times in your life, and every single time it seems to be something different? Because in this season, you're at a different spot than you were last week or last month or last year. No, I don't blame John at all. Not in the least little bit, because I think we've all done this before. And when we don't have good experiences that follow a good thing, we find ourselves hurt because our expectations weren't met that way. Yesterday, we go to a football game, and, and I had expectations. And the reason why I had expectation is because I paid for good seats. I mean, there are we talked about this a few weeks ago. Every seat in the stadium may be the same, but they're different prices. Well, I decided to get good seats for good prices under the assumption, Brian, that uh, those good seats with those good prices would create an environment of good people. I was wrong. 
I was very, very wrong. Because halfway through, Jessica goes, breathe. Because I was about to lay hands in the Holy Spirit on some people behind me. Poor lady next to us was there for, she, she's been an Alabama fan for over 30 years. It was her very first game. She turns to me and looks and goes, is it always like this? Because the one row behind us was so obnoxious, it was ruining the experience of others. And, and I had to remind that lady, like, they're not from around here. Listen to their accent. <laughs> next week would be a different experience is what I'm communicating, but... Sometimes a singular bad experience can dictate future events. You ever been to a bad restaurant one time and never gone back again? It's interesting, though, because you can have a bad experience at a restaurant. You know what happens, Heidi? They stay open. Why? Because other people have had good experiences. If you ever see a restaurant that's shut down, it's because a lot of people had bad experiences. But what happens a lot of times is because we have a bad moment or a bad experience or a bad expectations not matter, we have disappointment, now we think that if anything looks the same as the previous season, it's going to be a bad thing. Because misplaced expectations is a fast track to a lifetime of disappointment. And the truth is that we have to overcome today is that when you have disappointment, you will either shift or you will get stuck. Those are your two options. We need to come to grips that everything that we have in ourselves and, and everything that goes on in our lives that create a disappointment, that create a pain, that create an issue in our lives, have a moment to make you stuck in that spot for all the rest of your life or for you to address it, for you to shift, and for you to move out of it. Last week, we talked about pain. We talked about wounds. We talked about turning our wounds into scars. Today is a, top, is a touchy subject. We're going we're gonna to talk about going from being victims to being victors. It's an emotional topic for me. It's a, it's a heavy topic for our culture, not just at New Life, for America as a whole. So even if you don't feel like it, just scream amen every once in a while. Just let me know that you're still with me. Amen. There it is. I'm going to start buying amens here pretty soon. I just how much I was paying for, so that's a penny. That was a little more vibrato next time. You might get a dime. Let me start off with this. And I need everyone, if you don't hear anything else, hear this phrase. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being a victim. There's no but. There are moments in your life that the actions and the sins of others that were not your fault created a very painful moment in your life that made you a victim. Happened to Missy Lane. She's the only one who said true. And I will never minimize the pain and the issue that you went through or are currently going through in your life. Yes, you were a victim. 
I have been a victim. But there is a difference for me. For me going, yes, I was a victim, and for me living a life as a victim. There's a big difference for me when I have been a victim and a man that stays a victim and get no love. All right, let's go to uh, John chapter 5 real quick. John chapter 5. Let's see, where do we want to go? We're going to start off in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Hebrew is Bethesda, and having five porches, and this, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at certain times to a pool and stirred up the waters. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Jesus took ministry around the age of 30. He dies around 33 and a half, 34. So this man has been dealing with an infirmity longer than Jesus has been alive. And this man is at the pool of Bethesda by the sheep gate. And we know by tracking Jesus' movements, Numerous times in his life, he went past the sheep gate. Numerous times in his life, he saw this man. Numerous times in his life, he heard this man's story. Numerous times in his life, he knew what was going on. And when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. How many of you understand that Jesus knows where you are? He knows how long you've been there. And he knows what put you there. Jesus looks at this man who says that I've known he's been there for a long time. In other words, this was not a surprise. Where did this man come from? But he knew that he had been there for a long time. In fact, he had been there longer than Jesus had even been alive on this earth. And so when he's walking by, he's looking at this man going, you've been here for a long time doing the same thing in the same spot. So Jesus asks a very important question. He makes this statement. Go ahead and put up the next verse for me. Do you want to be whole. Leave it right there. Now, mind you, this is a lame man who had an infirmity, which lame means what? His legs don't work. And Jesus asks the man, do you want to walk? Do you want to dance? Do you want to run? That's not what he asks. What's the words he use? Do you want to be made whole? Sometimes the issues in our lives aren't what we think the issues are. Jesus sees through the man's obvious lameness of his legs and asks the very important question, Bill, do you want to be made complete? Do you want to be restored? Do you want to be whole? Later on, you say, well, Pete, it's semantics. No, because other times he says, do you want to walk? In this case, do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered, absolutely, please make me healed. No, the sick man answered, sir, I have 
no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but when I'm coming, another one steps in before me. What he's saying is, I've been in this place for a long time that wasn't my fault. And I got no one that's going to help me out. And even if I tried, it wouldn't matter because somebody else is going to get there before me. The issue that we're walking into isn't the fact that this man was lame. The issue we're walking into is his response to Jesus. Do you really want to be healed? Everyone's like, absolutely, you want to be healed. Yeah, absolutely, God. Yeah, but that's not what Jesus asked. He said, do you want to be made whole? And if we could be honest in this context, I'm sure that this man maybe had some friends or some family. Maybe he could bribe somebody. Maybe he could look at somebody and go, once I get restored, if you could throw me in the water, you will get 100% of my income for the next year or whatever it is. If you could, if you could just get me from one place. Or how about this? How about he just laid on the edge of the pool when it wasn't being stirred and tell somebody, could you just push me in later on? Could you, I'm begging you just to, I will pay you. I will do whatever it takes to get in. But that's not what he wanted because he didn't want to be whole. What did he want? He wanted everyone to hear his story. Because that's unfortunately what happens to us when we find ourselves in a lifetime of victimhood is that we don't care about being whole, we care about telling our pain. Because leaving the past is scary. Leaving the past is feeling like I'm giving up maybe my identity. Leaving the past may feel like I'm even losing my power. Maybe leaving the past puts us in a position where we're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable. The difference between being a victim and being a victim mindset is that they both experience pain, and one sat in the pain and moved on, and the other sat in the pain and moved in. How do I know if my pain has become an identity? We're going to use their statements instead of your statements, shall we? Because sometimes it's easier for us to identify somebody who's a victim than to look at ourselves. So I'll let you guys point fingers today. How about that? They live their relationships on extremes. You are either for me or you're against me. Ever had that relationship? Either if you disagree with anything that I say or do, you're my enemy. And we live our lives in a world nowadays, EJ, where disagreement equals dishonor, and that's not what it's supposed to have been. But when we find ourselves perpetually living our lives as victims, when somebody disagrees with us, they're attacking who we are, and they are the, also the enemy. They are the people that are coming up against us, and they live their lives on extremes. They have a sense of moral elitism. How that looks, Bob, is that if you do something to me, it's wrong. If I do something to you, you have to understand why I did it. I'm exempt from my choices because of my hurt, 
because when I was five, 15, and I'm not minimizing the pain that you went through. I'm not telling you what you went through was a lie. I'm not telling you that the issue that you had was a good thing. I'm not giving you permission to go and look at that person and say, thank you for what you did to me. But what I am saying is when we find ourselves perpetually living a victim past a painful moment, we look at ourselves at a spot where it's okay if I do something, but you cannot do something because my pain trumps morality. Number three, just like this man at the pool, they see no point of change because it's just going to happen again. Why do something if I keep having the same issues over and over and over again? Why try to move on? It's just going to get me right back in the same pain. I was moving ahead to the work, and then my boss decided to change the structure, so now I'm not getting a raise. Why try? Why do I go into a new relationship when every other person left me? Last week I told you a story of my dog attack. I think I told that. Did I tell that story? I did, yeah. yeah. And the problem that we run ourselves into is that after I got attacked by a dog, I had two choices. My choice was to understand that a bad dog did a bad thing or I could teach, treat every new dog as if it was that bad dog. And that's what we do in our relationships nowadays. So we do with our people these days is we have a bad experience one day and we think that everybody is going to be exactly like that person again. I am a coffee addict. First step is admitting the problem. But I don't want to change. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. Solidarity, sister. Uh, but what we, what we do have is this. Uh, I, I like Starbucks a lot. I, I like any coffee a lot, to be honest with you. If this coffee back here is too strong, then get stronger because I make it. Um, and I like, I like it. I want you guys to, 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 yeah, be doing cartwheels. Like, y'all think it's the Holy Spirit. It's the coffee. Um, no, we're, we're, we're pushing forward, but I've been to a Starbucks that has completely destroyed my order before. And I never went back again. No. Probably went back the same day, if we're going to be honest. But what we do is we don't allow every Starbucks to pay the penalty of one bad barista. Why do we do that in our relationships, Brian? Why do we, why do we sit there in that one bad experience at a workplace or, or one bad experience with an idiot or one bad experience with a family member, one bad experience with something that has gone wrong in our lives dictate every future experience when I will happily go to a stranger at Starbucks and pay them to ruin something and try it again? Isn't it interesting how I will value that over a relationship? I will put more faith in a complete stranger that I paid to mess something up than I will somebody who had a bad day. I digress. Stones are breezing. All right. They possess a life, number four, where just life is against me. Have you ever felt that? People who struggle with victim mentalities are convinced that life is not only beyond their control, but it is actively and deliberately out to hurt you. Sounds kind of narcissistic. You are the center of the universe, and every life is here meant to hurt you. They use a pain for their answer on everything that they do. 
They keep reliving pastful memories that made them feel like a victim and expect you to pick up in their shares of penance for their pain. Having other people feel sorry for them is a way that they wrap you into their own experience and it's a way that they get control because people who are victim mentality mindset of people, I know that was a redundant word, but people who have victim mentalities are people who need control and they will manipulate you with their stories to get what they want until you don't do it anymore and instead of thank you for your service, you're now the enemy. I love you guys. Uh, correction equals conflict. The Bible says that the Lord corrects those who he loves, unless you're a victim. If you try to point out anything big or small, it always ends up in an irrational confrontation. I like to ask people this question, that is this, is that if, if you didn't experience the pain of your past, would you react the same way as you do today? Because God wants to heal somebody, not just their physical body, but their body, their soul, and their spirit. He wants you to be whole from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Hmm. You know Saul was a victim. Okay. First uh, Samuel is it 12, I think. The people turn against God and Samuel and say, make us a king so we can be like the other nations. And Samuel's like, God, they hate me. And God's like, they don't hate you, they hate me. Give them a king. Saul is sent by his father to look for a lost donkey. Can't find it for three days. So he has this idea as a young boy to go to, to the seer or to the prophet or to a Samuel and say, hey, can you tell me where the donkey is? As he gets there, Samuel goes, Hey, just giving you a heads up, the donkey was found three days ago. Your dad's missing you and he wants you. So why don't you come to the mountain with me and sacrifice and I will tell you everything in your heart that you didn't know was there. I love a good prophetic word and next month we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. But that's accuracy. That's him looking at Saul and being like, and four days ago you had blue underwear on. When you walked through, you scratched your head with your left hand and you're like, what is going on? Fast forward. He tells Saul that you, he puts him at the, at, the, at the prized seat. He declares a blessing over him. He tells him that he is called to be the prince of the land. And Saul answers him with this. How is it because I am of the tribe of Benjamin? I am of the smallest tribe. My clan is the smallest clan. My family is the smallest clan. And my, and, and, and my family is the smallest in the clan. And, and I am just nothingness. But notice the description, and I think it's in 1 Samuel 13, of Saul. He was head and shoulders over everyone. Literally, tall, good-looking man. But for Saul, I am the weakest of the weak, and I am a nobody. And we fast forward to chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. And Saul continues to make horrible decisions, and I quote, because I feared what the people said. Because even though Saul was king, he was always the lowest of the low in his mind. And he finally got acceptance, and he finally got people to like him, but he had to maintain that control. And it gets to a place in 1 Samuel, I think it's 15, where Saul has already sacrificed 
to God, took a priest's job. Then God tells him to go and wipe out the Amorites, I think. Samuel shows up. The king is there of Amorites. There's goats, there's sheep, there's oxen, there's horses. Samuel says, what are you doing? Saul replies, the people took them. And I I think it would be good to do a sacrifice with this stuff now. So we're going to take a sinful behavior and make it spiritual. Okay, cool. We're going to get God's approval on our actions based on making it super spiritual. Samuel says, today the kingdom is no longer yours. Saul grabs his coat, rips it. Samuel says, it's been ripped from your hands. You know what Saul does next? One of the most intriguing parts of the Bible. Samuel, bless me in front of the people so they can see it. Oh, you don't believe me. Sorry, this isn't in my notes. This is a freebie. First Samuel, chapter 15. Let's see. Verse 24, for Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I have transgressed the commandments. Now he got busted. He's going to make it right. For the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sins and return with me that I can worship the Lord. And Samuel said, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor of yours. Whose, look at this, is better than you. Talk about poking somebody in the eye. Verse 29, And also the strength of Israel will not lie or relent, for he, God, is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray, before the elders of the people and before all of Israel, that I can turn again with me, and I will worship the Lord your God. In other words, can we keep this charade going as long as possible? See, a victim mindset doesn't go away because you get authority. A victim mindset doesn't go away because you get money. A victim mindset doesn't go away because you get power. A victim mindset doesn't go away because you get popularity. Because a victim mindset will stay with you as long as you want it to be there. Because if you're living your life based on the control of the pain of your past, you're giving it full, complete authority over every decision of your future. So there's a few reasons why we need to drop this. Number one is because a victim mindset distorts our view of reality. The world's against me. Everybody hates me. I might as well go eat worms. It's not a reality. People who are living in a victim mindset live their lives perpetually that everything and everyone is going to hurt them. They are out of a reality concept. It's like whenever you hurt yourself, like I hurt my thumb, I think every corner and every drawer is out to hurt me. And now I calculate every step that I make. If you hurt your foot, you calculate every move that you make based on what's going to happen because in your head, every step is going to be painful because of what took place. And the problem is, is that people with victim mindsets don't live in a reality. And as long as we're not walking in truth and reality, the enemy is going to have a field day with you. 
It stunts our personal growth. One of the biggest things it does is it disempowers you to be who God called you to be. I've got good news and bad news. You are not in control. But you have the ability to empower. And when you're living your life in a victim mindset, we are empowering the issue of our past to control our future. And I've got good news and bad news. The person that hurt you moved on, but you have not. The person that did the most despicable thing that you could possibly imagine to you, they lived their life, and you're stuck. In a weird case of irony, you continually giving them authority over your life. Isn't that weird? I refuse to let Elaine hurt me again, so I'm going to build my life against Elaine and watch everything she does. And she's happy-go-lucky. She has no idea what she did. Because people who are living a victim mindset could perpetually stay in a spot of disempowerment. They suck the joy out of life. needs to be stronger. And they damage every relationship that they're in. You know, God wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have relationships with people next to you that are fun, that are encouraging, that are restoring. And if we're always living our life based on a, 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 a disassociation of reality, and if we're always living our life on a place that we're going to be a victim for the rest of our lives, it's going to ruin every relationship. Because we can only be in relationship, Brian, as long as you agree with everything that I say and how I say it. But the moment you have a different opinion of mine, then you're no longer my friend. You're going to victimize me too. It binds us to our own issues and gives us excuses for our behavior instead of growth. All right, let me do a little counseling session real quick. Hiding and Rusty, this is a complete made-up story, by the way, for the record. Rusty comes home from a long day at work. Heidi's made dinner. House is beautiful. House is clean. Like I said, it's a story. <laughs> I'm usually picking on Rusty. I feel like I could share the wealth today. Rusty comes home from a bad day at work, looks at it, and goes, <sighs> it's not hot. Takes the casserole, throws it on the ground. Screams, hollers, walks out the house. Comes back in an hour and a half later. Stuff's all over the floor. Can I ask you a quick question? Who made the mess? Yeah, if you don't say rusty, <laughs> we can definitely do some counseling after this one. Rusty did. Hey, real quick, whose responsibility is it to clean up the mess that Rusty made? There you go. Okay. The next day, Heidi makes another meal. Rusty walks in. That looks great. Heidi goes, no, it doesn't. Throws it on the ground. Shatters it. You hurt me yesterday. I'm still mad about it. Whose mess is it? Hypothetically. Some of y'all say Heidi. I might say both. 
How many days? How many weeks? How many months? How many years of Heidi continually coming, Rusty coming home, and Heidi slamming the food on the ground before it's actually Heidi's issue, not Rusty's? A week? A month? At what point does Rusty's bad decision and Heidi's bad reaction actually start becoming Heidi's fault and not Rusty's? See, a victim mindset doesn't understand that. A victim mindset says, you did a bad thing to me here, and 10 years later, everything I do is because of what you did, and it's still your fault. But in my analogy that I just made, all you guys were like, well, on the first day, you were like, it's Heidi's fault. She got to clean it up. But yet, in my life, and in your life, it's not that way, is it? I'm going to hop out that door. <laughs> See, my analogy just proved a point of how many of us are still dealing with victim mindsets. Because a painful moment that hurt us yesterday shouldn't dictate how we react a year from now. According to you, not me, according to you, it shouldn't dictate how you act 24 hours from now. I was given grace. <sighs> it's weird, though, because a victim mindset is based out of a fear of slavery, yet it encourages it more. Hmm. Reminded of Job. When everything fell apart with Job, he makes this statement, the thing that I feared the most has come upon me. And I don't understand how we, Pete and my personalities, um, have not understood that the things that we have feared the most we've empowered. Just because they put a bow on it and call it something else. Can I tell you, if it lied to you then, who should say it's not lying to you now? If you believe the lie about that same thing, well, how come it, we, the same thing can come back and make it into a new package and we're like, oh, well, that's definitely acceptable. Because the enemy doesn't tell the truth, EJ. He doesn't. He is a father of lies. And if he's going to get you to believe a lie about yourself because of what somebody else did, and then he comes back and goes, you know what? I can't believe what that guy did. You should do this. And you're like, you know what? You're right. He was wrong both times. But we don't live our lives that way. We get hurt and we take his option. He's the... He's the guy that is selling weapons to both sides. And we're giving him a Nobel Peace Prize. Okay. Back to John 5. Jesus heals the man. But it doesn't say he just healed him. The Bible says that he made him whole. You see, God is interested in all around wholeness in your life. For most of us, we think the story is over and we move on to the next event. But if you fast forward, it says that afterwards in John chapter 15, verse 5, John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. And he said to him, See, you have been made well. And look at this. Send no more, lest worse come upon you. See, we've, we've twisted this passage to think that if we sin, God's going to make us paralyzed. Well, a lot of the issues you have in your life is because of sin. 
Notice, he tells them, sin no more lest something worse happens. And after understanding the mental place that this man's in, I'm wondering if God, Jesus is looking at him going, don't find yourself again in a place where you're believing a lie and being a victim because it's going to not go good for you the next time. Don't continually, after you get breakthrough, to go back to being victimhood again. doesn't mean that you're not going to be a victim. But what you do with that pain is up to you. See, pain is meant to hurt for a season, but not to be your identity. And not here to say that God sends pain to you to teach you a lesson. There's always lessons in pain. My pain has been some of the greatest teachers I've ever experienced in my life. But without the word of God, pain isn't a teacher, it is a dictator. It's always good to look back at a painful moment and go, what could I or should I have, or, or, or would I do next time? But just because that happened, that's not my identity. Those are two totally different things. See, pain is a great tool, and it's a great teacher, as long as we're applying our identity to what God says about us. Otherwise, whew. It is a dictator of your life. Let's just say this. Let's watch how we are thinking so we don't fall into the old patterns that made us sick to start with. Hallelujah. Oftentimes, part of our healing process involves forgiveness. A lot of times our healing process involves letting go. But letting go and forgiving does not mean you're empowering the person to do something again. Let's go back to my dog story. I was attacked by a dog that I never played with again. But it doesn't mean that every dog pays for it. I'd be foolish to go back in the dog pen again. And there are relationships in your life and there are issues in your life where pain has created distance and God is here to make you whole, but whole and restoration do not mean the same level of relationship. It means you go back to before you got hurt. That's the difference. God wants to heal you before the wound, but just because he heals you before the wound doesn't mean that they have to be your best friend again. Connecting myself and my relationships based on what has taken place with my past is the equivalent of me going, well, just because I got stitches and got healed, now I have to take that dog home with me and let it sleep in my bed. That's foolishness. Because restoration is not about who's your best friend again. It's about are you living life on a place that's not victimized any longer. Restoration is about walking a life that is pain-free. Restoration is about walking a life that goes, these were wounds, they are now scars, let me help you. Because as long as we're living a life pre-restoration and we're bleeding out on people, we're also cutting people. We're hurting people and saying, it's not my fault, it's what Rusty did to me. Because this is what happens, we're going to progress this story now. Rusty comes home, Heidi slams it on the ground, runs across the street to her neighbor's house, kicks the door, slams it on the ground, it's not my fault, it's my husband's. Goes to the next door neighbors, slams their food on the ground. Not my fault. It's comical, but this is what you all do. It's comical that Heidi would run from neighborhood to neighborhood and destroy everyone's dinner because of what Rusty did. And scream, it's not my fault, it's my pain. I worked hard. 
I was rejected. I had problems. Somebody didn't do what I thought they should do. It hurt. And it's not minimizing what Rusty originally did. But at what point do we look at our lives and go, hey, baby, you're causing more pain than he ever caused? See, this is where strife, this is where contention, this is where a spirit of division comes in. This is where all of these things take place because I'm empowering the evil one based out of my pain and calling it spiritual. And if you could just understand my hurt, it excuses my behavior. I think I'm done. They didn't bring tomatoes. Next week, Pastor Allen's going to preach. <laughs> True story. Uh, so make sure you guys come back for that one. He'll restore everything. Um, the series is called It's Your Move. Just like Jesus looks at the man and says, do you want to be made whole? He looks at you the same thing. In other words, it's your move. What do you want to do? The man could have looked at him and go, I'm good. I'm making pretty good tips. People are dropping off money. A lot of Pharisees come by and drop off a bunch of offering, make themselves look good. My life's not too bad. Or do you let go? The problem with victim mindsets is it's just based out of something that's not a reality. Everybody's had this football coach. If you played football, that was the best of the best in high school. You know, he rocked at high school. And he was six foot three, 245 pounds of muscle, ran a 4440, benched 400, squat 600, deadlift 700. But now he's 5'10, don't understand it, but whatever. <laughs> I would have gone to college, but coach had it out for me. He wanted his son to be the superstar. So I couldn't play. But I would have made it, man. You're 45. <laughs> squeezing into your football jersey from high school. Squeezing. Retelling stories of the day you rocked in high school, but your coach held you back. You know what's the crazy thing about sports? You can have the worst coach, but you can walk on to campus. And college coaches don't care if the coach has a son. If you're 6'3", 240, bench 500, squat 600, deadlift 700, you're going to make the team. But that's a lot of work. It's easier for me to blame somebody else. It's easier for me to look and go, I would have but they. I could have but them. I would have a job but they. I would have a relationship but them. I would serve God but that church. I, I, oh. There's a lot of things that have been done wrong in our lives. America is full of fault. It's come a long way. It's not perfect. Not by a long shot. 
But there has to come a moment in all of our lives where we lay aside the bad things that have been done to us and understand with tenacity, with hard work and discipline, we can overcome a lot. There's a documentary on the day that Alabama played, I think it was USC. And at that season, Paul Bryant was the head football coach. And he scheduled a game against USC. Do you all know why? Because USC had players of color, and we didn't. And he knew, as we all do now, they were going to get destroyed. Dressing out where it was 50 white rednecks is going to get destroyed. Think that's racist? Look at the football teams. It is what it is. And they did. They got annihilated. And in that season of life, the University of Alabama was dealing with segregation. In that season of life, the entire state was in uproar over segregation. And you know what's the craziest thing? Paul Bear Bryant scheduled a football team knowing he was going to lose. And the next year, Alabama had people of color on the football team. It's crazy how football was more important than understanding somebody's value based on their skin color. And we're looking at a situation that was a very painful moment in our history of our state that we're currently living in, going, how stupid were we back then? I don't know of any human that I've ever met in my current life that would go, you know what? Nope, they had it right. No, you're an idiot. It's not right. You should never judge anybody based on the color of their skin based on their gender, based on any issue that has taken place in their life. However, I will tell you this. I will never judge a man or a woman based on the color of their skin. I will never judge a man or a woman based on their gender. I will never judge a woman or a man based on how much money they bring in or whatever they do. But I will always look at a person and go, are you staying where you stuck or are you moving forward? Am I continually living my life based on what took place 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago? Things that took place before I was even born and making that my excuse for not moving forward. Or am I going to move ahead? But you don't understand my life, Pete. No, I don't understand your life. I don't understand the pain you went through, but I understand pain. I don't understand the hardships that you have went through, or your peoples have gone through, or your grandparents have gone through. You're exactly right, but you don't understand mine as well. But you know what I do know is I do know that God is a restorer and wants to make people whole. And the problem is, as long as we're making excuses, we're never moving forward. Bad things have happened to us all, and they will continue to happen to us all. I'm sorry, that's the gospel. But the better news is that there is a restorer of all wounds. There is a healer of all things. And we have to remove our excuse and embrace our identity because you can't be a victim and a king at the same time, EJ. I can't stand here and go, I'm a son of the living God, and I'm a victim at the exact same time. You're living your life with two minds, and you're unstable in all your ways. Because even as Jessica said earlier, just because you say things and study things without proper application doesn't make it real. And we're on one side, I'm confessing what Proverbs says that I am. On the other side, I'm living my life stuck as a victim and wondering why we're spinning our wheels. So let me ask you this today. We'll pull back a Joshua. Choose this day who you'll serve. Which mindset do you want to be as we close? Do you want to stay powerless? Do you want to stay in a spot in your life where everyone else and everything else they do is dictating your future and you are no longer able to even make a single decision? Or do you want to live your life based on being a son or a daughter of God who is empowered and anointed for, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I've 
called you out of darkness into marvelous light, is what he said. And I've restored and freed the captives, is what he tells John. And the blind eyes are open, the deaf ears can hear, the lame is walk, the dead rises, is what he looks at John when he asks the question, are you the son? And I think God is looking at you going, are you going to embrace a life that is continually moved by a mindset of your past? Or are you going to embrace the future that God has for you, free from all your wounds, free from all the issues and embracing who he's called you to be. Crazy thing, Tyler, is that the man who walked again doesn't have massive amnesia. I guarantee you he remembers 38 years being stuck. But that's the thing. Just because God heals you doesn't mean he makes you forget. But that's what a testimony is. It's where you were, but now where you are, because God's grace in your life. And we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Each and every one of you have a testimony. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this day. That as we wrap this up today, God, that you are the restorer of all that hurt. You're the great forgiver. You're the great restorer. That God, right now, the issues that have taken place in our lives, the, the painful moments that other people have done, the, the moments in our lives that we legitimately were a victim. God, we have to let go and embrace your healing, embrace your wholeness. Today, God, as we, as we fa- finish this, that you continue to open our eyes to see areas that we can move forward, that as it's our move, we can be restored and whole from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We thank you and all of these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.